Welcome to the Pod Control Podcast, brought to you by Red Hat. PodCTL is your source for containers, Kubernetes, OpenShift, and all things cloud native. Hello, Kubernetes community, and welcome back to season two of the PodCTL podcast. This is episode two of season two. Uh, for those of you that are just joining, in uh, episode one, we went over what is Kubernetes, some basics of the architecture, some basics of kind of how the system works. And in episode two, we're going to look at what challenges can Kubernetes solve. And I think the best place to start as we talk about challenges is people, off, people often ask, you know, what types of applications can run on Kubernetes? I've heard different things. You know, can you help me understand what applications can or should run on Kubernetes? Now, I think before we jump into that, um, let's lay down some real basic concepts, and then we'll build upon that. So the first thing is Kubernetes itself is the scheduling system. Um, it does have a number of deployment patterns that are sort of built around it, but it's ultimately the scaling, the scheduling system. So the second piece of it becomes, okay, in terms of what types of applications can run on there, we start getting into languages and frameworks and other sorts of things. Um, you know, it's important to say, okay, well, what role does containers play in that? And containers are really important in this in that containers are fundamentally, uh, they're Linux, uh, although uh, more so we are beginning to see Windows containers as well. Um, but they're sort of language and framework independent. And why that's really important and part of the reason why Kubernetes has taken off is that it didn't bind itself or bog itself down with any dependencies or limitations on which languages it would support. So it would support really kind of anything that people wanted to throw at it from Java to Ruby to Python to, you know, COBOL to all sorts of stuff. And so that was the nice thing about it is in theory, lots of things can run on Kubernetes. Now let's talk a little bit of historically how it got to where it was. When Kubernetes first got started, it, uh, you know, was really very much focused on stateless applications or people were often calling cloud native applications or 12 factor applications. Basically, you know, how do I take a brand new application, a stateless application, something that I want to scale quite a bit. I don't necessarily want to worry about uh, Kubernetes taking care of the data side of it or the state part of it. And that's kind of where Kubernetes got started. And then over time, people started to realize that Stateful applications uh, were a huge part of what goes on in business and, and other types of things. And so it was, how do we figure that out? And stateful types of applications became part of Kubernetes. We then began to see uh, kind of an explosion of different types of applications being run, um, both you know the application itself as well as uh, sort of helper services or middleware types of services or other types of things becoming part of what could run on Kubernetes. And so it's not just about... Uh, you know, I run containers, uh, run Java in a container, or I run, you know, Python in a container. It's, you know, can I run things like uh, queuing systems and, um, you know, real-time events and other types of stuff. So we began to see those types of things emerge as well. The next thing we started to see was um, back in the day in your AI and ML and big data types of workloads, things like Hadoop and other stuff, um, they were originally tied very much to a sort of proprietary underlying scheduling system. Um, and so you couldn't separate out the application from the scheduling system. What we've seen around this space is that more and more of those types of applications, those frameworks have decoupled themselves. They're now using Kubernetes as the underlying scheduling mechanism. And so we're seeing more and more of these big data AI ML frameworks begin to run uh, natively on Kubernetes. So everything from Spark to Kafka to uh, TensorFlow to all sorts of things now running natively on Kubernetes. So, you know, we started off with stateless. Uh, we began to add stateful applications. Uh, we've seen databases running on there, um, those types of things. We're beginning to see AI and ML. 
And then what we began to see, as we've often seen in lots of open source communities, is people looked at other types of application types or frameworks or patterns, and they said, why can't we you know, bring those to my system as well? And so we've seen stuff like serverless uh, come over to Kubernetes in the Knative project. We've seen things like, um, you know, how do I manage distributed routing, distributed scheduling? That's called a service mesh. Um, that's now part of Kubernetes. And so ultimately what we've seen is a lot of different types of applications begin to be able to run and run natively and run well on Kubernetes. And so up to this point, we've always talked about containers. Now, another thing that we're seeing running on Kubernetes, and this is a kind of a newer phenomenon over the last year or so, is people have said, well, if I can run containers, why can't I run virtual machines, right? Is there some way that we could schedule virtual machines? And there have been some projects to help do that. KubeVirt is one of those. So we're beginning to see virtual machines become a first-class citizen within Kubernetes, and you can mix and match both um, containers and VMs uh, on the same scheduling system. So that's pretty cool. And then we've also heard a lot of people, if you've been paying attention to the community for a little while, or you're, even if you're new to it, sometimes you'll hear people say, Kubernetes is a great platform for building platforms. And you might think, well, what does that mean? Um, ultimately, what that means is, to some people, Kubernetes is a system that is kind of underlying infrastructure. It helps you manage underlying infrastructure. It helps you scale infrastructure or cloud infrastructure. But maybe it doesn't give you the development experience or the developer user interface, if you will, that you would expect. Maybe something that you're used to is called a platform as a service or you're used to like software as a service. Uh, Kubernetes can be a great platform for building platforms on top of that. And so we've seen people build developer experiences on top of Kubernetes. We've seen them build platform as a service on top of Kubernetes. Uh, like we mentioned, serverless as a service or functions as a service on top of Kubernetes. And then people obviously have built their SaaS applications running in the public cloud on top of Kubernetes as well. So when we really get into what types of applications can run on Kubernetes, uh, it's really become a very, very broad list of capabilities that are out there. Um, stateless, stateful, big data AI and ML, uh, functions as a service, platform as a service, software as a service, all those things can be built on top of Kubernetes. It's a very, very good scheduling system. It leverages containers uh, and now VMs so that a broad set of applications can run. It can interact with uh, data services, um, queuing systems, all those types of things. So we really are seeing a really broad set. Now let's talk about what that means in terms of solving actual business problems. Well, a couple of things that businesses often need help with. Number one, um, I want to be able to build software better. I want to be able to test it more frequently. I want to be able to get feedback from that testing, maybe a change on a website, A-B testing, whatever that might be. And I want to be able to make changes in a very known controlled way. Well, all that functionality is built into Kubernetes, right? So it can integrate with CI and CD pipelines so that you can be constantly making changes to your software, testing it, getting it deployed. Um, it has the ability to do things like A-B testing or canary testing or blue-green. So basically different deployment mechanisms that allow you to say, let me deploy a little bit of this new code to some new users. Let me get the feedback on that. I wanna leave the old code out there running. I wanna get the feedback from the new stuff. If the feedback looks good, we can make that sort of the full-blown deployment. If it's not good, we'll just roll it back to the old stuff. So it's got those mechanisms built in. Obviously, um, because it kind of comes from Google DNA, it has the ability to scale to very large numbers. So we've seen you know, tens, hundreds, thousands of containers deployed, hundreds of thousands of containers deployed, thousands of nodes deployed. So if you have an application that really needs to scale a lot, maybe that's a 
AI and ML or a web application, whatever that might be. Um, it has that capability built in. The next thing people often say is, well, you know, this is new. I don't want to break the bank on this. You know, is this going to be really expensive? One of the great things about Kubernetes is it has so much automation built into it uh, that you're not necessarily having to spend tons and tons of dollars or cycles having to build automation around your applications, right? Because it has these built-in deployment mechanisms built in, because it does a lot of the automation within the system itself, whether it's how it works with networking, how it works with storage, how it deploys applications, how it does health checks, all that automation is built in. So a couple of nice things, right? Lots of different types of applications you can deploy, scalable. Uh, it's got automation built in, so it's going to help you keep your costs down, especially as you're scaling up and down. Has the mechanisms to scale out when you need to, to scale it back down when you need to. So it's going to really align well to your business, whether it needs to scale up or scale down. And then finally, you know, one of the great things about Kubernetes is it has been designed to run anywhere and you can consume it in lots of different ways. We're going to talk about the consumption models in a later episode, but um, depending on what your business needs are, your business needs might need to be on-prem. They might need to be in the public cloud. They might need to be on multiple public clouds. They might need to be out at the edge. And Kubernetes can be that consistent technology no matter where you deploy things. And that's great because A, it help, should help keep your costs down. Um, it should allow you to be flexible in your business. Maybe today you work with one public cloud, but down the road, um, you have reasons to have to work with other public clouds. That could be business reasons. It could be technical reasons. It could be political reasons, whatever that might be. So all of these characteristics are built around Kubernetes. They're kind of core to its design. And so those capabilities become things that you can take advantage of to build more applications onto a consistent platform, keep your ops costs down, help make your developers productive. You can deploy in a highly automated manner so that each new deployment is not a huge uh, burden in terms of your operations team. It's not a huge burden in terms of extra cost. You can do things repetitively and you can deploy on any cloud anywhere you want to. So you can build that consistency about how you want to use the technology, no matter where you want to deploy it, no matter what your business needs are, no matter what your technical needs are. So hopefully that gives you a sense of not only the types of applications that you can deploy with Kubernetes, that's what makes it really powerful but also some of the things that that solves because of that power built into it, right? Helps you make your developers productive, helps you reduce cost, helps you have consistent operations around the world, no matter where you want to deploy. All those are really beneficial things that Kubernetes can help you deal with. Um, and because it supports so many new types of applications these days, really, really powerful platform for not only today's applications, but applications in the future. So hope you enjoyed episode two of season two here of the PodCTL podcast. On episode three, we're going to look at how Kubernetes gets created. What's the development model? Uh, who's actually developing it? What's the governance model? We'll look at all that on episode three. So again, thank you for listening. Your feedback is always welcome. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Pod Control Podcast. You can find everything about the show at podctl.com or at podctl on Twitter.